When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand. Good morning to you. Uh, it is uh, Friday here, and that's the start of the Commonwealth Games. So plenty to look forward to in sport in the next ten to twelve days uh, in terms of our team competing over there. But uh, also plenty going on at home as well, and that includes a Ranfurly Shield Challenge tomorrow. So uh, very shortly, we're going to speak uh, to Maya Nakora, who is the Poverty Bay head coach. Uh, of course, South Canterbury had a real spirited challenge uh, against Hawke's Bay. Uh, what have Poverty Bay got to offer you? She'll find out. Uh, just after 9.30, we'll talk to Christina Eddy, and Christina is a Sky Sport reporter in uh, Birmingham at the moment. She was uh, there at the opening ceremony, which is just coming to its conclusion. Pretty spectacular. We'll talk to Christina about that. And first day chances for New Zealand. After 10 o'clock, Ricardo Ball will be with us. Of course, uh, he's our football pundit. Plenty to talk about there because some of the leagues get underway this weekend in England, some of the lower leagues. How many Kiwis are involved uh, in those particular teams? The panel will be James Regan and Ross Carl this morning. And uh, we'll be uh, talking also to Sarah Clausen, who is uh, uh, our Greyhound Racing interview for the day. We always have one every week. Uh, and then at 11.30, a really interesting interview with uh, Dr. Helen Murray, who is a neuroscientist on the, uh, on the occurrence of uh, concussion, the studies on concussion, etc., uh, and what do we need to more uh, be aware of, I think it's uh, fair to say. Uh, and Dr. Murray will keep us uh, up to date with that. She's been part of a really big study on it. <laughs> Well, undoubtedly the biggest game of rugby this weekend is at McLean Park in Napier. Tomorrow starts at uh, five minutes past three and it is a shield challenge between uh, Neighbours, Poverty Bay and Hawke's Bay, the holders, of course. It's the 18th time that that, um, Poverty Bay will challenge for the Ranfurly Shield and it's been about four years since they had their last crack at it. Head coach for them uh, at the moment is Maya Nakora and he joins the show this morning. Maya, good morning to you. Morning, Philly. How are you going? Hey, how, how are you going, uh, mate? How how big is uh, how big is this, and how how much have you been able to uh, get get through to your guys the importance of this occasion? Oh, it's massive for us. You know, um, like you said earlier, 18th time in our 132nd um, year as a province. So these opportunities don't come along very long, um, very often. Sorry. Um, so massive opportunity, and the boys are um, thoroughly looking forward to the experience. Have you talked to them much ab- about uh, the history of the Shield and you know what it means to New Zealand rugby pro- provincially? We've done a bit of that. We're going to um, touch on that a bit more again today once we get to Napier. Um, and with our captains, run, we've got um, New Zealand patron Ian Kirkpatrick travelling with us. So Kirky's keen to have a word oh. with the boys um, just before we go into that captain's run to start um, 
narrowing the focus a little bit. How inspiring is that to have him on the trip? Oh, it's awesome. He's been really great um, last year and this year. He, you know, he pops into the odd training. Um, loves coming away on the trips he can get away to. So it's just awesome to have him um, in and around our environment. Maya, how many, how many, or, or if any, have played for the Shield in, in the last uh, challenge? I think against Taranaki. Were there any survivors from that? I think we're carrying maybe only three from that Shield at the moment. Um, we've been there would have been a few more, but we've lost um, five guys, five of our regulars from the club final on the weekend. Um, so those guys unfortunately miss out. So we're only carrying um, probably three from that last Shield. Um, which is which was only four years ago, and and you know so we're pretty fortunate to have this one so close. Usually for Hart and Unions, if you don't win the Meads Cup, then you're looking at an eight to ten year gap between your challenges. So we're very fortunate, very um, grateful for Hawks Bay for offering us um, a challenge, and um, yeah, boys can't wait to rip into it. My, that's uh, that's just staggering. So uh, just explain that you've lost five players to the club final. Is that right? How does that work? Yeah, so our club final was just on just on the weekend there. Um, our, our two clubs in the final, Waikahu and YMP, provide the bulk of our um, Poverty Bay Heartland squad. And yeah, just unfortunately it was a was a physical battle, and we've lost five um, five members through through injury um, that would usually be involved um, for this weekend. Wow, that's a big loss on such a big occasion. Uh, just tell us then about your remaining squad members. Tell us a, a wee bit about the demographic, sort of um, where you've got them from, um, and, and are they basically all Gisborne people, Poverty Bay people? Do, are you able to uh, to bring a, a two or three players in from out on loan loan issues, etc.? Yeah, so we we operate on a locals only policy. So um, how we think of it is just giving our our local guys. Um, the opportunity to play and represent our our province first and foremost. Um, to go outside of that, uh, we have a locals, um, sorry, a player of origin that we call back. So if we are calling back players to top up where we, where we need to, those guys have to have a connection to our region. Um, either they've grown up here um, or played club rugby here um, in the past for us to, to call them back in. And we have got two guys at the moment two player of origins that are coming in for tomorrow. We've got Teddy Walters, who, who plays down in Hawke's Bay in the midfield, coming in for tomorrow, and Hunter Mokomoko, who's just missed out on the Bayer Planning squad, coming in for tomorrow on the wing as well. So what about the, the age of the side? I mean, what, have you, how young, perhaps, are some of the members of your squad? Um, youngest players will be 21 or so. So we're going to have... It'll be five new caps going into this game with with those injuries and and so forth. So youngest around 21, and our most experienced guys um, in around that 30, 32 year age bracket. Maya, it's very early in the season, obviously in terms of uh, representative rugby. What kind of work have you been able to get into the squad? Yeah, so with the with the club stuff um, still going up until the weekend. Pretty tough to to um, ask you know guys to come out and do extra trainings on the nights they're not already having their club trainings and stuff like that. Remembering these guys aren't paid; it's you know, still their the thing they they sort of see as their hobby, I guess, as a heart, as a Heartland player. So it's been pretty tough. But we've um, had three good trainings this week: Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. 
Um, luckily, we have got um, 19 guys that were part of our Heartland squad last year. So um, in terms of picking things up, there hasn't been um, too much learning um, with a good solid base there. So three good trainings and we'll top it off today with a captain's run just to try and fine-tune as best as possible. With your uh, origin um, policy that you've got there, uh, how strong then is your secondary school system? I mean, obviously you're a product of Gisborne Boys High yourself, but how, how strong is the secondary school set up there um, that you rely on there with, with your local guys? Yeah, it's massive for us that um, Gisborne Boys High School stays strong. At the moment, um, all our all our player of origins are ex-Gisborne Boys High School players. We have a lot of guys in the squad that have um, played at, at Gisborne Boys and maybe gone out, out of town um, for a few years, had a go at other unions but have now come back. So um, it's massive that, that they keep strong because um, it's a ma- massive feeder into our team. Well, and and throughout uh, Poverty Bay, just to you know, to give us a, an insight into how it's going at grassroots level, or so, uh, how strong is rugby through uh, kids level uh, right through until uh, to rep level? Is it as, as strong as ever, or are the numbers waning a wee bit? Now the numbers have been pretty steady the last sort of five years. Um, they haven't really fluctuated um, too much, haven't lost too many, haven't gained too many. Sort of stayed the same. Um, that's across our junior levels and and senior levels. Um, our premier competition here is, is is pretty healthy. You know, you're always going to have um, teams struggling a little bit, but um, we're pretty happy. We've got six in our premier comp here. We've got eight in our senior one competition, um, mm. which are our main two senior competitions. So, in terms of Heartland, I think we're I think we're doing all right in that part of the game. Have you been uh, encouraged by South Canterbury's performance against Hawks Bay? Yeah, massively. Um, you know, South Canterbury are a, are a good side as well, but they showed um, that if you can keep hold of the ball, um, you can put any team under pressure. Um, you know, they, they tackled well, managed to slow Hawks Bay's um, game up a little bit, which will be key for us as well. So, yeah, it has given us um, a little bit of confidence, but also in the back of our minds is um, probably up against a bit of a different team as well than what South Canterbury had. Um, so we're going to have to step it up a wee bit there as well. Okay, let's uh, uh, look at uh, your particular path through to where you are now, Maya, because, uh, as I just mentioned, you are a Gisborne Boys high product. You've uh, played for Taranaki, uh, for Wellington, for Tasman. But more importantly, uh, you had 82 appearances for um, Irish Club Connaught over a period of uh, six years. Tell us about that experience and uh, how you ended up there. Yeah, well, it was... Um my last year in New Zealand was with Tasman and um, you know, really enjoyed my time there. Um, thought I was playing all right, but you know, every player in New Zealand's um, ambition is to be a super rugby player and I missed out on a, a contract after that season and an um, offer came through from Connacht. It was, it was only two years at the time um, and I thought I'd come back and give super rugby another crack, but um, ended up really enjoying my time over there and you know, you offered another contract after the two years and um, you know, we were fairly settled as a, as a family. Um, had a daughter born over there in, in that period as well. So, um, yeah, we stayed over there, probably longer than envisaged, but um, really um, loved my time over there, really good people, and, um, yeah, enjoyed the rugby as well. And no doubt you've had just a, a little bit of feedback over from uh, some of your colleagues over there about Ireland's performance against the All Blacks? 
Yeah, yeah, you still um, keep in touch with a few people. And, um, you know, the game was, the speed the game was developing it um, and the players, how the players were de- developing. When I, when I was over there, you could sort of um, see this coming. And, you know, um, yeah, so it's not, not by any fluke. Anyway, they've put a lot into their lot into their game, a lot into their systems, and they're, they're bearing the fruit at the moment. They are bearing their fruit as well. Okay, uh, travel day today, plans for today? Yeah, so we, we're going to leave um, earliest today, get on the bus 10.30, um, aiming to get to Napier around um, 2.30ish, and then we've got a captain's run at 3 just to just to sign off on a few things and um, um, polish off a few things. So um, that'll be our day today, and um, try and keep it nice and relaxed as possible. Apart from uh, Kirky's uh, message of, of encouragement, what do you think you'll be saying to the guys uh, as you you know as you say send them out tomorrow uh, about three o'clock? What what will your message be to them? Your final message? Oh, it's all about the it's just about the opportunity. It's going out there, um, you know, expressing yourself, having fun, um, playing playing for your teammates, wearing the jersey with pride, all those those sorts of things. It's um, it's just a massive opportunity and a massive occasion for our for our boys. What do you sense uh, the mood is in the camp? Oh, it's um, going off training last night. The boys are, you know, they're buzzing. They're buzzing. It was, I've been a part of this team now for um, four years. Um, and the training we had last night was um, one of the best I've seen. So it's just, um, you now it's just about transferring that onto the field and, and, and doing the best we can. Well, well, mate, uh, I'll be there tomorrow, uh, so I'll catch up with you in person. But I uh, wish you all the best, uh, all the best with your travel today, and uh, I hope, like hell, you can uh, uh, do the jersey proud, as you said, and enjoy the occasion, uh, more importantly, because, uh, as I said, it's the biggest game of rugby going around in this country this weekend. Uh, centre stage. Good luck. Cheers, Millie. Thank you. Cheers. Uh, Maya Nakora there, folks, uh, head coach of Poverty Bay, a well-travelled rugby player in his own right, and... Um, If it's anything like uh, the performance that we saw from South Canterbury, it will be a very spirited challenge. Uh, Near neighbours, of course, are around three hours up the road, uh, Gisborne to Napier, uh, and they have got um, a real uh, history, a very proud history, and they will be competitive. You can uh, bet your bottom dollar on that. TAB actually are giving them a 66.5 head start over Hawke's Bay. Uh, I remember when they gave uh, South Canterbury, I think, around a 75-point head start in that first game, and they finished within uh, about 12 or 13. So uh, it was a, a pretty, a pretty, very, pretty good performance by South Canterbury, inspirational, really. Um, and I'm expecting quite a lot out of Poverty Bay for quite some time tomorrow against the Hawks Bay team, who have not had uh, a lot of appearances themselves uh, this year. They haven't had a lot of time for combinations. Uh, the club season didn't finish uh, that long ago either. So, bad, bad, bad news though for Poverty Bay. Imagine that losing five of your your most experienced players out of a club final, a very physical club final. That must have been worth watching. It is nine seventeen here on SENZ. We'll be back shortly. Sport in Aotearoa. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Smithy's Metal Tally Update. Give your tech the winning edge this Commonwealth Games with the experts at Noel Leeming.
Well, no medals for New Zealand as yet, of course, because uh, competition hasn't started, but uh, there should be medals for the people that have uh, put this opening ceremony together. It's been absolutely spectacular, so I hope you're able to see the highlights of it, or uh, if you have not, uh, and you may be able to see it in full at some stage, worth a watch. Brilliant. The City of a Thousand Trades, that's what they call Birmingham, and a lot of the history was uh, reflected in the opening part of it. So we'll be talking to Christina Eddy, uh, who's on the ground over there uh, for Sky Sport very shortly, her impression of what it was like to be at the stadium and uh, just getting the vibe of what's going on over there. Uh, but it looks like a hell of a fun a hell of a fun night to begin with. But, uh, of course, the serious stuff uh, starts very shortly, Logan. Um, and uh, just tell us who's uh, in action. Remind the people who is in action for New Zealand as we play the last parts of the National Anthem. I'm hoping we hear this a lot over the next few days, Smithy. I just love hearing it like that. And when we get to the podium moments, big one coming up first, Smithy, the triathlon, the men's individual final. Hayden Wilde, Taylor Reid, Dylan McCulloch. Of course, Hayden Wilde, big medal chance there for us. So make sure you watch that one. That starts at 10pm. The Blackfern Sevens start their campaign to defend their gold medal from the Gold Coast Games at 6 minutes past 10 so be a bit of a clash. You might have to do a little bit of, bit of channel surfing there to watch it all. They take on Canada. And then the, the All Black Sevens, just 11.02pm tonight, they start their campaign against Sri Lanka. So those, those are three ones to look out for tonight. Uh, of course, we also have Joelle King starting her quest and Paul Cole starting his quest, uh, both playing at midnight tonight. There's a lot to look forward to, Smithy. I don't know about you, but I'm probably not going to get a lot of sleep over the next few days. Well, Hayden Wild is an interesting one to start with, and because Hayden Wild kicked us off uh, in the recent uh, Tokyo Olympics, of course, not, let's not forget that, uh, when he managed to uh, get on the podium there. And I'm forecasting that uh, he will be massive because uh, his form at the moment is fantastic. Uh, coming off a win in Hamburg uh, about uh, two to three weeks ago, um, that followed a, a series, uh, a silver in the series opener in Yokohama. A win in Leeds and a second placing in Montreal. I mean, he is in great nick, Hayden Wild. Uh, and the person that uh, finished uh, second to him uh, was France's uh, Leo Berger. Well, of course, France are not part of the Commonwealth. So you'd have to think on current form that Hayden Wild in particular is a strong, a very strong medal prospect. Uh, fellow New Zealanders uh, Taylor Reid ranked 11th in the world. Uh, Dylan McCulloch, uh, 116th, will also line up. Uh, the race uh, is a 750-metre swim, a 20-kilometre bike ride, and a 5-kilometre run. So it's a quick-fire one, uh, a real snappy one. So I would imagine that our first, I'm, I'm predicting here, I'm predicting, our first medal chance will be Hayden Wild, and then, of course, uh, the others will kick off uh, as they do. Uh, the squash, I think they'll dominate. I, I really do. Um, they'll be very much a, a part of the proceedings. I think both of them will probably be... Uh, on the dais there, Paul Cole, a real chance in the, to uh, get a gold medal. Joel King, of course, uh, one of our flag bearers this morning, along with Tom Walsh. Um, and, and then, of course, uh, traditionally, uh, the track and field side of things come very much later in the competition, expecting big things there. But Hayden Wild, for me, uh, is our big chance tonight. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And then when you wake up in the morning, everyone, there's there's still more to look forward to. The Silver Ferns play at 7.30am. They take on Northern Ireland in their first match. So definitely looking forward to that one. Uh, there's swimming as well. Uh, Andrew Jeffcoat in the men's 100 metre backstroke final. Dame Sophie Pascoe is also swimming tomorrow morning. So look out for that. 
more rugby sevens as well. And then, of course, across the weekend, Smith, there's just so much more to look forward to. The Black Sticks women's team start their campaign to defend their gold tomorrow night, 8pm against Kenya. A little, little bit of an unknown for them, as you would have heard uh, in our interview with Megan Hull, the co-captain yesterday. If you haven't listened to that, uh, check it out on all the podcast platforms, either the SNZ app or wherever you get your podcast. It was an awesome chat with her, Smithy. She's so bubbly. You can tell that this team is really into these games and really laser-focused on what they want to achieve here. Yeah, I, I do. I, I listen to her with interest, actually. I, um, I love the interview. I love the, the excitement in her voice and uh, just the opportunity that I've got. And uh, a lot of people sort of poo-poo the Commonwealth Games, uh, Logan, because they treat it you know, very much secondary to the Olympic Games. It's sort of uh, the, the one that we have in between each time. Uh, but I think if you speak to anyone that's been to them, anyone that's represented their country in them, they mean a hell of a lot. Uh, a lot. I've said in the past that the uh, uh, great Australian cricketer Steve Waugh, they won the gold medal. The only time uh, 50 over cricket was played for in the Commonwealth Games was in Kuala Lumpur. Stinking hot conditions. It was oppressive actually, so it was very tough work on very slow pitches. But Australia triumphed. Uh, they won the gold medal there. And Steve, uh, Steve Waugh puts it up there with anything he's, else that he's ever done in cricket. Uh, and that includes uh, the Ashes, etc., and all his great moments uh, under the baggy green cap. Uh, he reflects as that is uh, one of those most remarkable achievements. And my mind goes back uh, to 1974. They're my early, earliest memories of the Commonwealth Games, perhaps because we held it in Christchurch. Uh, and the coverage was absolutely brilliant. We thought, you know, that was really one of the great starts of, of absolutely blanket coverage of events. Uh, and, of course, it was in, in our... And the perfect time zone to be able to watch it because it was at home and you just didn't miss anything. And New Zealand team really did excel, uh, starting off with Dick Taylor on the very first day and the uh, 10,000 metres just kicked the whole thing up. Uh, Janie Parkhouse uh, in the swimming pool. Uh, you know, there were so many, so many back in 1974. The giant of a man, uh, uh, Graham May, the, the heavyweight weightlifter who uh, in one lift absolutely collapsed face down. Um, uh, on the podium, on the and, and then of course uh, he he got back up and uh, won the gold medal. I mean, it was there was some such great stories that uh, were inspiring for people of of my generation back there. But that Dick Taylor, um, and I can I can see it now. I'm running down the track, and then of course uh, he just put his arms in the air. He was not expected to win the race. Put his arms in the air and then collapsed backwards onto the track. Um, and of course um, the legend was made. And uh, the legend, one of the great public speakers, actually, uh, in New Zealand, Dick Taylor, and his, uh, his stories about how uh, he went to the pub with his coach uh, to build up for that particular race, had a couple of jugs and talked about tactics, and then went out and did it the next day. Quite staggering. Absolutely. Uh, right, so we'll have uh, every day um, that we're on air here, midweek uh, anyway, uh, we shall have <coughs> updates, a medal tally, and uh, we'll uh, hopefully uh, on Monday have plenty to talk about. It's 9.30 here on SENZ. Nine thirty-two here on SENZ, and the uh, twenty twenty-two Commonwealth Games are officially open and underway in Birmingham after a spectacular opening ceremony that uh, just wrapped up moments ago, seconds ago, in fact. Now we make our, our way for an absolute festival of sport that begins tonight with New Zealand's first potential medal moments coming 
in the triathlon, the Black Fern Sevens, the All Black Sevens, the Black Sticks Women's all begin their uh, their campaigns, plus many more. Uh, I'd be, uh, I could be in for an all night. I absolutely love the, the Commonwealth Games. It could be a rough ten or so days uh, on the ground, h- helping to provide uh, Sky Sports in-depth blanket coverage uh, of the games. As uh, Christina Reddy and Christina joins us uh, now. Good evening to you, Christina. Thanks for your time. Good morning. How good was that? Yes, I mean, I'm watching from, from London, not from Birmingham. Um, but it, it, what a very good opening ceremony for the Commonwealth Games. I was rather impressed. Um, and I think if you if you tuned in and you were watching, you would have learned a few things about Birmingham. Um, maybe you didn't know before anyway. Yeah, they call it the the city of a thousand trades. And uh, one of the features I, I looked uh, forward to and, and really enjoyed was uh, all the early days, the early days of, of all the, you know, the, the methods of occupation that they had um, throughout. Uh, it was just, it was staggering how they, they put it uh, so graphically. It was, and they didn't shy away from the dark bits either, which I, I you know, I have to commend them for because at times it, it did get a little bit dark, um, but that's exactly the way that the history went and it rolled through Birmingham, and now it's, it's a vibrant place in, in quite a few places in the city, um, and it's certainly starting to get even more. I sort of noticed, you know, before I left for London this morning, that there were just people piling in. You know, you can tell that the games uh, are here and they're in Birmingham, and and they're ready for for some good action. And I mean, it's so good too because come from most games, you know, you've got so many sports and so many Kiwi athletes. Um, but for everyone, you know, Commonwealth wide, there's so many Commonwealth athletes all all crunched in together in just such a short space of time, which is about 10 days. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a, a really quick-fire programme, there's no doubt about that. Queen not, Queen not able to be there, but Prince Charles and Camilla <laughs> rolled up in a nice classic Aston Martin. That was uh, something a little different. It is a little bit different to the old, for the royal style. I think it was probably what we expected, wasn't it, that the Queen probably wasn't going to be able to make this one, which was a shame because, you know, it's back in the UK, um, which is fantastic for, for the UK. And I think it's been, a, it's been a bit of a hot minute, actually, since I've had the Commonwealth Games. Malala, Malala's speech, of course, uh, she as, actually is, is a Birmingham girl and she gave a quite inspiring speech to the 30,000 people. She did. Yeah, she absolutely did. She talked about, you know, the unity and the, and the likes that come from the Commonwealth and what, the, and what Birmingham meant to her, you know, as she was uh, in her hospital bed uh, in Birmingham or just outside of it, in fact. Um, but, yeah, you know, it was quite a profound moment. You definitely notice that, that people, people take it in when someone like um, Masala speaks, don't they? They certainly do. Uh, Christina, uh, tell us uh, what you made of uh, the New Zealand team's entrance and uh, Tom Walsh and Joel King at the forefront with the flag. It's great to see, isn't it? It's very nice to see um, both of them in front. You know, they've both, both deserved it, absolutely. But, you know, seeing, I think I have to say Joel King's um, presence and, and the way she, she's taken it on with, with the flag has been something I've found you know, to be quite a proud moment. I think she's just a very incredible, well, they're both very incredible athletes and the fact that they're very humble, they're very down to earth, they know how to lead the team. Um, I thought that it was very interesting talking to Tom Walsh when he became flag bearer, you know, he sort of said that at first he was a little bit rude about it and he wasn't too sure. Perhaps I'm speculating here that potentially maybe it was on recent form, like he didn't feel like he potentially straight away deserved like that in that, in that moment. Um, but I found it, you know, it was very cool being there when they were revealed as the flag bearers because you can tell how much it means to them when they stand in front of a 233-strong team. 
uh, and everyone's watching them lead that team. So, I mean, yeah, no, you couldn't get two more fitting people, I guess, from a New Zealand team to lead us in. So tell us about this, the Sky television team that's over there and your roles in particular. Yes, we've got Carl Sauna, myself, Storm Purvis, Courtney Tidy, Ravinda Hunia. Uh, we'll, we, we'll be here on the ground uh, covering the bases from here in Birmingham and in London. So I'm in London because of all, we'll be covering the track cycling over the next four to five days, uh, which is which is pretty cool. They're using the old London 2012 Velodrome that they used in the Olympics back, you know, uh, 10 years ago now. Uh, and the others for the next few days will be covering the likes of Sevens, you know, Carl Snana at Sevens, you know, Storm Purvis, the former um, Silver Fern covering the netball as well. And they'll be dotted everywhere, you know, doing boxing, weightlifting, cricket, hockey, you name it. Uh, and then I'll be doing the same in Birmingham after London. But, yeah, we're spread far and wide and we'll be absolutely doing our best to get to every single athlete we've got competing on every single day, which I tell you is in big feet because we have to have a bigger team here because there are so many athletes competing on every given day. Christina, how many other sports are outside Birmingham itself? Would you know? Just just the track cycling, most of it's and I think you sort of got a sport dotted in Coventry uh, and Edgbaston, but that's still the Birmingham area. So it's basically just the track cycling that actually sits outside of Birmingham itself. So they've done a pretty good job actually of utilising all their venues. Um, I know that there's a brand new athletics track which is bright blue. The athletics um folk in particular are very, very excited about getting to their track because it's so brand new and it's uh, they've really put a lot of effort into that. So that's one. Uh, and then, yeah, you've got the likes of the Edge Basting um, Golf. The golf club is a home to our New Zealand house. But you've also got the likes of, yeah, it's basically everywhere <laughs> in, in Birmingham. It's actually, when you stand in the city centre, there's so many venues dotted around that you can basically walk to. So they've done a very good job of making it very Birmingham-esque. Right, let's look at uh, day one of the games from uh, what we can uh, watch on Sky uh, overnight in particular. Uh, tell us uh, about our chances and, and uh, what, what we should be expecting. Yes, yeah, so the wild card is the New Zealand men's gymnastic teams in action, and I think that's pretty fantastic. We've got a very, uh, we've got a pretty strong team this year in our men's artistic gymnastics, and that's always a good sport to watch at these games, isn't it? Everyone loves watching the gymnastics, and they'll be led by Misha Kudinov. He's uh, he, this is his fifth Commonwealth Games, which is incredible for a gymnast. Um, he competed for the first time when he was 14 years old in Melbourne in 2006, and now he's here as 31-year-old leading the team. Uh, and then you've got Hayden Wilde in the triathlon, our bronze medalist from Tokyo. That's a good one to watch. He's the, the gold medal favourite, but he was telling me yesterday that he's up against uh, a UK local who is expecting that the streets will be crowding to get behind. And they're short and quick races, these triathlons, so they make for great viewing. The women's triathlon is also on tomorrow. Uh, and then we've got our track cycling tomorrow with our team pursuiters and our team sprinters in action. They will be f- finals and medal events in the afternoon as well, albeit they qualify. We're expecting pretty good things from our men's pursuiters and our women's sprinters, uh, while the men's sprinters and women's pursuiters are more likely going for individual honours, but who knows when it comes to Commonwealth track cycling, anything can happen. We also have Sophie Pascoe um, in the Paris swimming tomorrow and Tuko Nuefi also lining up in the same race. She's an absolute young gun. Uh, who is likely to be the next crop that sort of comes through after Sophie. So that's definitely a race to keep your eye on. And we also have Erica Fairweather in the swimming as well, who's also um, a medal chance. And then you've got your Black Ferns kicking off, your All Black Sevens kicking off. 
uh, against Canada and Sri Lanka, respectively. Um, and our Black Six women kick off against Kenya as well. So it's an action-packed day. It's massive. What do you sense uh, amongst the team? I was talking before about the fact that a lot of people don't, you know, people that aren't involved with the Commonwealth Games don't pay it uh, that much credit because it's, yeah. it's the one in between the Olympics. But it, there are people there that, of course, have been to both. Do you sense any difference among, amongst the team itself in terms of the importance and the occasion? I think the occasion it somewhat has more for these athletes now because they get so many limited opportunities to compete these days. Um, with the way that COVID worked and the way that, you know, the, the Olympic Games were postponed and people missed out. And a lot of our medal hopes in particular, obviously there are the Olympians that are medal hopes, but there are actually a ton of medal hopes that you talk to, uh, like the likes of Zoe Hobbs in the 100-metre sprint. I think it's incredible to think that she's a medal hope at these Commonwealth Games and wasn't that long ago that she was struggling to make them. So we sort of have, I think yesterday it was pretty fascinating when you were looking around this team function we had with all 200 and pretty much all 233 athletes present, a lot of them are newcomers, a lot of them actually are sitting there with a very, very good chance to get a medal or to do something at these games. And that will kickstart them for their Paris campaign if they're looking at Paris at the Paris Olympics in two years' time. And that's exactly what you need in, a, in an Olympic campaign rebuild for the likes of Paris when you just don't have that many times time to compete these days. They're so few and far between. So for them it's so for so many athletes, it's a big stage opportunity moment um, and one that they, they might not have actually had uh, given the way that the last few years have panned out. So I'm sure there's no doubt that there's a lot of athletes here ready to take it and grasp it with two hands. Christina, uh, COVID, of course, it's, uh, it's not as prevalent as it was uh, in Tokyo and, and Beijing, etc. Uh, and the attitude to it has changed markedly, but it has affected the team. Uh, already and Ainsley Thorpe has been scratched from the individual women's triathlon after testing positive for COVID but uh, is there a chance that she'll be able to uh, race in the mixed team relay will she be free for that? They haven't ruled her out and that's um, these Birmingham Commonwealth Games they they knew that they couldn't fully protect their athletes when they were in a UK environment you know it's not the same as Beijing and Tokyo where they knew they could lock them into this bubble Um, that's not going to work here you know that's way too exposed uh, to the idea of COVID on public transport and the likes. So they, they could never implement a zero COVID approach. So they've implemented a get-to-the-start-line approach. And that does soften how they view COVID in the sporting environment um, on the NLSL play. Like, I even understand that apparently if you test it and you're, you don't have as many, um, or you don't come up as likely to infect others or these are they sort of got some kind of COVID scale grade medically that I don't fully understand but if you register very very low on that that there's a chance that you could still compete and they won't actually tell your opponent that you tested positive for COVID so I think there's a bit of murky lines then around that as well and whether that means that you know there's no real seven day strict rule you know you're in isolation for seven days so the next seven days of your competition you're out potentially Ainsley would have to retest over the days and if her, if her symptoms or her scale came down below that, that line then they would probably let her compete. The, the men's black sticks have uh, had a couple of injuries. I understand Jordan Cohen and Brad Reed have pulled out after being injured in training of all things. Uh, Joe Morrison and mm-hmm. Simon Yorston come in. Uh, is, this, is this a setback for them? Or are you pretty confident about their uh, chances? 
Dyslexics have had an interesting run. They've had an interesting run of success and, and some failure as well. And I think, you know, the men's Dyslexics are also quite hard to judge because they just haven't had as much time against their international counterparts. I guess it's hard, I personally find it's quite hard to say. I don't know exactly how the depth hasn't necessarily had to have been tested um, so far over the, over the last wee while. So it will be interesting to see how they, they come together and gel as a squad. But from my understanding... You know, those two reserves were their travelling reserves that they're very used to, so I wouldn't be surprised if they just slot into the squad. Um, but they've definitely got some tough competition here in Birmingham, so they'll be hoping to get off to a good start for sure. So, Christina, now that we're up and running and, uh, you know, the, the uh, events are about to unfold, can you tell us uh, personally, what are you, is there one or two things that you're looking forward to absolutely the most? Yeah, I mean, it's always, it's always a tough one, isn't it? Because the ones, sometimes the ones you look forward to the most don't always pan out the way you expect, and that's the way the sport goes. But I have to say I'm very excited to see Zoe Hobbs in the 100-metre sprint. Uh, she's an athlete that has just excelled in recent years, uh, especially after the disappointment of missing out on Tokyo and not making that mark. Ever since then, you know, she went away to Europe. She hunkered down. She worked with a really, really good couple of coaches over there who gave her a lot of confidence. And then she absolutely just came into this New Zealand season and skyrocketed and set times that have put her into this new echelon of the sport. You know, she receives a call up to the Paris Diamond League and does extremely well in that in that straight final. And then she goes to the World Champs and she makes the semi-final. And it's, she's just reaching times consistently that are in the level that would have seen her medal. Um, or even, I think, it, yeah, I think her best would be a silver medal at the 2018 Commonwealth Games, and that's incredible. To even think we could have a Kiwi in the final of the 100 metre sprint, how exciting is that? And then to think that she could even go on to medal, I think that's a big one. Uh, and then I would love to see Lewis Clebert get it done, but he was saying that he thinks he is into, he would have to break the Commonwealth record if he's to get the gold. So while he's the gold medal favourite, some would, some would think, and put their money on him, uh, he's not so sure in terms of the fact that he thinks that's the time he has to be and that's how fast swimming's come, so it'll be a very good race to watch as well. Christina, Eddie, pleasure talking to you. Uh, enjoy the next uh, 10 days. It's going to be fascinating. Uh, good luck with uh, all the little tasks that you have to perform and uh, I'm sure you, uh, I'm very <laughs> jealous. You're going to have a hell of a time. Very, very jealous. Uh, thanks, thanks, thanks very much. Enjoy, enjoy the UK. Thank you. Oh, we sure will. We we love this job. It's it's one of the best ones, isn't it, to be over here and covering yeah. some of these incredible moments. And we look forward to bringing it to you too. Yeah, we look forward to uh, to watching uh, all your hard work. Thank you so much uh, and enjoy. It's nine forty seven here on SENZ in the morning in New Zealand, of course, uh, in uh, London where Christina is. It's around about quarter to eleven at night. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, the text uh, just come in saying, uh, man, Ian Foster has challenges. Uh, he's talking about uh, Maya Nakora. This guy's uh, coaching five debutants into a Ranfilly Shield Challenge with only three trainings together. Uh, that is uh, true provincial rugby, isn't it, when you hear him talk about uh, the fact that he hasn't been able to get his hands on any players uh, because of the fact they've had too many club training. It was unfair. Imagine that, a, a provincial coach saying it is unfair to the clubs to take players out of the clubs or, or ask them for effort um, as well as what they're doing in their club football. Um, it's, it's unfair. I mean, what a refreshing attitude that is. Normally they just say, you can't have them for club footy. 
you just can't have them for club footy or you can't have them for rep footy because, you know, the, the higher up the order, the higher up the, the pecking order you, you go, it just gets harder to get availability for players. So, yeah, five players he lost in this club final last week who would have been starters um, in the Shield Challenge tomorrow. Incredible. Uh, just looking at uh, the can bet, of course, on the Commonwealth Games, if uh, that's your thing. Hayden Wild is uh, $2.75. $2.75 to win uh, the gold medal in the triathlon uh, tomorrow, uh, tonight, I should say. Uh, but he's not the favourite. Alex Yee is the favourite and a very warm favourite too at $1.50. Matthew Hauser at $9. Henry Sherman at 26 Jacob Burt Whistle at 26 uh, They are the main protagonists, it seems, in the uh, men's triathlon. Uh, that's the one that we hope we'll get on the dais first up. It is 9.54 here on SENZ. We'll have a weekend multi coming up shortly. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.59 here on SENZ. Just time before the news to uh, get our, our weekend multi up and running. Uh, Warriors. So I'm going to take the Warriors with the 12.5 point start. I know they were whopped by the Storm last time, time around, but they're home. And the Storm are anything but the side they were back then. So 12.5 point start. I think the Storm will win, but not by much. Uh, $1.90. The Sharks to beat the Rabbitohs will stay in the NRL. Uh, that is $1.69. And in baseball today, the Los Angeles Angels to beat the Texas Rangers at $1.43. So uh, the Warriors plus 12.5. Cronulla Sharks, LA Angels, $4.59. That is our multi for the weekend. Uh, In the next hour, uh, to begin it, in fact, we'll be talking to uh, our very own Ricardo Ball. Lots happening in football, as it always, always is, but the England leagues below the EPL get underway this weekend. 14.76am in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.03 here on SENZ, and it was great news for the Wellington Phoenix fans yesterday with the unveiling of the A-League draw for this forthcoming season, 2022-23 uh, that's the men's side of things. Uh, after spending the majority of the past two campaigns away from New Zealand, they will play 12 regular season matches here. Ten of those will be at Wellington Sky Stadium, with the other two to be taken around the country. Where will they be? We just don't know quite yet. Uh, SENZ's own football pundit, uh, the man who's been so busy lately interviewing basically everyone in the women's Phoenix side as they get signed, is uh, with us now. Ricardo Ball, good morning to you, uh, Ricardo. Yeah, great news uh, yesterday with some home footy at, at Sky Stadium. Yeah, great to see, isn't it? Great to see the Phoenix back, uh, see those uh, fixtures rolled out. So 10 games definitely at Sky Stadium. They're taking three others around the place. I think one of them is in Wollongong against West Sydney Wanderers, which is part of their agreement was when they were playing at Wollongong. So two more probably in Auckland. And I think maybe, Smithy, the Newcastle Jets have let one out of the bag because they printed their fixtures uh yesterday and released them and they have the 3rd of March against the Wellington Phoenix at Eden Park on their list. Wow that's interesting so I think we can probably uh, take it as that. Why would the Phoenix not announce that now? Why would they hold back a separate promotion? Probably yeah probably Um, So, but Newcastle obviously didn't get the memo so they put their fixtures out and have included it in there so I I saw that pop up yesterday on on the Twitter feed some sharp-eyed Phoenix fan had seen it and retweeted it Interesting. Okay. One of the great features of the home games is the timing of them. Uh, They're all going to kick off at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which makes them very family-friendly, I would imagine. 
Yeah, exactly. I think I think it's a great move. You know, there was a few years ago uh, before COVID where a lot of the Phoenix home matches seemed to be at about seven o'clock on a Sunday, which was you know not not great, not the greatest time for uh, for families wanting to get along and. Uh, and see things, especially you know, with the school week, etc. So no, good that they've been able to talk to the A League, uh, talk to TV, and and figure it out and make it work for everybody. So three o'clock Saturday afternoon uh, should mean that the cake tin is absolutely uh, kicking off every time the Phoenix are playing at home. Well, the good news, uh, unlike the Breakers, who have their first game away from home, when you thought a nice home game to start the season would be great, uh, at least the Phoenix do have a home game against Adelaide United. So. Uh, it's a, a little while away, but uh, very important uh, match up first up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Adelaide are uh, a team that went really well last year. You know, they're, they're a team that don't tend to get the headlines, um, but they always produce really good teams. Uh, they've got a great youth system in South Australia, and they have great players coming through. And they've managed to hold on to Craig Goodwin, who is probably the the best player running around in the A-League, or your local, you know, locally born player running around in the A-League, he's very important to them. So you're well done to Adelaide on last season. And it's going to be a real test for the Phoenix first up. Um, Adelaide, they're always there or thereabouts. They're always a tough side, hard to break down. And uh, they, they are a team that the Phoenix have got very good history with. So it's a good way to start the season. Of course, uh, they'll take a break at some stage because the World Cup is on. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. There's going to be a three-week break, I believe, from about the 8th of November uh, through till basically the beginning of December. So they'll take three weeks off there uh, just for the the World Cup in Qatar. And then uh, that will mean that, you know, a lot of eyeballs will be on the World Cup, but also any players that are involved in the Australian national team, the Socceroos, that are going to go to the World Cup. Um, that you know that won't have too much of an impact on the uh, A League sides because obviously those Socceroos will be uh, key parts of, of any A League side they are part of. So I think that makes uh, perfect sense, and it's something that in the past the A League haven't done. They haven't broken for internationals, um, but it's good to see they're thinking about that now because I mean it does affect the product. And I know uh, Smithy, you know that TV is a be all and end all for modern sport, but even TV I think is starting to realise well we can't just soldier on because the product does take a hit. Okay, let's uh, before we get on to um, the, the women's side of things of the Phoenix, I was, I was just actually looking at the, the World Cup groups, uh, Ricardo. I'm, I'm springing this one real wee bit, but of course Costa Rica by beating us were the last team to qualify to complete uh, complete the groups. Uh, that that would have been a group of death that we would have been in, mate. Uh, Spain, <laughs> Germany, and Japan. Uh, I mean that to me that I look across the board there, and I think that's the hardest group in the whole lot, Group E. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, it was it would have been, a, I think, a case of we've qualified for the World Cup um, and that's about all we can expect because, you know, well, I mean, Spain and Germany don't really need uh, any introduction on, on how tough those two teams will be, but also the Japanese. I mean, they are far and away the best team in Asia at the moment. Um, and, you know, I, they, I'm trying to remember who it was. It was one of the uh, Eastern European teams that they played in the last uh window, international window, and they had a 5-1 win against an Eastern European team. So it puts it into context just how good that Japanese team are. Predominantly, most of their squad play in uh, in Europe, a lot of them playing out of uh, Germany, quite a few in Italy as well. So they're a team that's got talent across the park, and they might not all be household names, but man, that Japanese side are very, very good. So it's going to be a great group, and uh, it's going to be a tough one for Costa Rica to get anything out of, I think.
I suppose uh, our other interests lie with uh, England now that we're not there. Uh, sentimentally, anyway, that's always seemed to be the case. Uh, Group B, uh, England, Iran, United States and Wales. That looks like a slightly easier pathway uh, than perhaps uh, Germany and Spain and Japan have got. Yeah, yeah, it does. You know, and you'd think the way that Gareth Southgate's got England playing, players that they've got at their disposal, they should do that group quite easily. You'd expect them to win all three. I mean, the Welsh will definitely be up to play England and, you know, and Gareth Bale have got a guy that can, can win a game from anywhere. The US... I don't think are in, in a great place at the moment. They have got some talent, but I don't really rate their coach and the way he gets to try them to play it and he gets the best out of what they do have available. And Iran, I mean, Iran could be a little bit, a bit of a smoky in that group. Again, they're one of the better teams in Asia and uh, they have a few players playing in like the Turkish leagues and the German leagues, so mm. they'll be quite strong as well and they will certainly give, give England a test. But you would think if Harry Kane is fit uh, and England have their best team on the park, they should waltz that group pretty comfortably I, I reckon uh, I reckon that you're right I absolutely reckon you're right I, other than that I think I see most of the major players getting through uh, Ricardo uh, let's get to the, the women's Phoenix of, of course and you've been uh, doing a lot of work uh, getting to know some of their personnel and this week uh, they've signed uh, New Zealand under 20 captain and Kate Taylor and a backup goalkeeper in Brianna Edwards so how's the squad really starting to shape up now it's really starting to shape up quite well. It looks like they're securing the best of the young players they had come through last season. Um, you know, Alyssa Wynnum, uh, for me, is an exciting player, Smithy. She's um, she's great talent on the park. She's a great chat off the park. And it feels like they're building the team around her. They've actually given her a two-year deal. Everyone else has been signed on one-year deals. So it looks like, you know, there's a player that they think they can build the team around. She's a creative player. She can play 10, she can play 9, she can play as a wide forward, she can play uh, as a box-to-box midfielder as well. Uh, but she's a really creative player and uh, looking forward to seeing how that goes. But they've also added a, a bit of experience in Betsy Hassett, uh, who's 31 now, plays played over 100 games for the Football Ferns. She's been to three Olympics and three World Cups. She's coming back to play from uh, her club in Iceland. So that's a great piece uh, for, for Phoenix, and she'll you know sort of do a, a very good defensive job in midfield. And they've also managed to get Paige Satchel, who I really rate. Who she's 24 now, Paige, and she's played a little bit in Germany. She was at Sydney FC last season. She played at Canberra the season before. She's got wheels, man. She's got real gas. She's a she's a she's a wide forward, and um, she'll be a, a great asset for the Phoenix. I think. She will cause a lot of teams problems with her pace, and I uh, look forward to seeing her and Alyssa Wynnum link up together on the field. So, got to say, uh, they're picking up the best of the young talent that they gave a chance to last season, and Kate Taylor, Alyssa Wynnum, and and players like that. But they're getting a core of experienced ferns in there as well, and uh, I'm look, really looking forward to the coming season. I think you know it's going to be a uh, a real tilt at the playoffs for the, for this Phoenix team, and just to give you an idea of. Um, Alyssa Wynnum, I talked to her uh, during the week, last week or might have been the week before now and you know you just get a sense sometimes when you talk to somebody as to how engaged they are with their sport and how focused they are I asked Alyssa Wynnum um, who her favourite player is and she said Leo Messi and she said uh, actually I watched the Leo Messi documentary before every game I play and then later on in the interview, I asked her what her favourite movie is to chill out and relax. And she said, I don't watch movies, I just watch football. Um, so I think she's one to watch. I think she, cause she could be uh, a real star for New Zealand football in the future. She's still only 18. Wow. <clears throat> Look out for her, Alyssa Wynnum. Um, obviously, this weekend signals the start of, uh, what, the England Championship League. 
plus mm. leagues one and two. Um, which teams would we perhaps uh, be looking for? And, and uh, any Kiwis in action in those lower tier comps? Yeah, there will be. Tommy Smith is still at Colchester United, who are in League Two. Um, they're one of the bigger teams in League Two, so they'll be expected to be knocking on the door of at least the playoffs, I think. Um, so we'll see Tommy Smith here. And there's a guy who we haven't maybe seen as much of. He has been involved in a couple of New Zealand camps, but a goalkeeper called Nick Janev, and he plays at AFC Wimbledon. They're in League. Uh, they're back in League Two now. They got relegated last season, uh, but he is their number one goalkeeper. He had a fantastic game in the League Cup against Arsenal. Uh, they lost that game, AFC Wimbledon, 3-1, but he made a, a number of key saves, so he'll be in action for them. And also for uh, Grimsby Town. Grimsby Town have been a team that's been around the English leagues for a long time. They got relegated two seasons ago to the champion, uh, to the uh, out, out of the top four leagues. They got back in by the playoffs last year, and Max Crokem, who whose name you may remember. He's played for Brisbane Raw, played for Salford City as well. He is the goalkeeper for Grimsby Town, so he will be uh, suiting up for them between the sticks in League 2 as well. OK, let's uh, look at the uh, well, the traditional start for Premier League action, really, is uh, the Community Shield. Uh, that is on Sunday, and it's uh, traditionally, of course, um, a battle between um, Liverpool and Manchester City this time around. Uh, with a couple of new signings on show, uh, perhaps Darwin Nunes uh, for Liverpool and Erling Haaland for Manchester City. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, this this game play. I honestly think that Manchester City will probably win this, and it and that's just based off a few things that Jurgen Klopp has said. It, it doesn't feel like Liverpool are quite ready yet, and he's pretty much said the same thing. So they play Manchester City in the Community Shield, and then the next day they play a friendly against Strasbourg, and they've organised another friendly for the day after their first game of the Premier League season. He said that he doesn't feel like they've had enough time to get ready. And uh, so their pre-season is going to stretch into the season, if you like. So I think that'll probably make Manchester City the favourites for this game. Their pre-season seems to have been pretty seamless, whereas Liverpool have been a little bit up and down. Um, they beat Palace 2-0, they've beaten RB Leipzig 5-0, but they had a 4-0 loss to Manchester United to start things. And then just yesterday they played Salzburg out of Austria, who you would expect them to, to romp, given that they beat Le- uh, Leipzig, uh, and they lost that game 1-0. So... I think things are just a bit of a disconnect at Liverpool at the moment. I think they probably need a little bit more in midfield. They've lost Sadio Mane, who I think is a big part of things for them. And it looks like they're about to lose Roberto Firmino as well, which will mean two of that front three that's been so uh, dominant for them over the last few years are going to be gone. Firmino is uh, 30, he's only got a year left, and Juventus have offered him £20 million, So it looks like he's off there. Liverpool do have you know, Diogo Jota. They've got Darwin Nunes, who you said they brought in, and... Um, a few other players that they've brought in over the over the last year, but I don't think those guys are the week in week out players just yet that we've seen from that previous front three. So yeah, I think it might be a slow start to the season for Liverpool. It's going to be an interesting one. Manchester United round off their uh, pre-season uh, with a game against uh, Atletico Madrid tomorrow night, New Zealand time. Uh, what's the latest around uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's intent this year? Well, it looks like he definitely wants out. Um, he's asked the club to release him from his contract. Interesting thing is where he goes, Smithy, because, you know, Bayern Munich were linked. They said, no, we don't want him. He doesn't fit what we want. Real Madrid, Barcelona have said, no, they don't want him. Juventus don't want him. PSG, he doesn't fit there. Uh, there was some talk about Atletico Madrid, potentially. 
but Atletico's chairman has come out and said, no, don't think so. And the fans had a protest the other day with a big um, CR7 not welcome banner unfurled at an Atletico Madrid um, pre-season game. So it looks like while he wants out, there's not many places with open arms welcoming him. Um, he was offered a ridiculous deal, 250 million euro for two seasons to go play in Saudi Arabia. But he still wants to play in Europe and he wants to play in the Champions League. And I think the thing that's really driving Cristiano Ronaldo is his record in the Champions League, his goal-scoring record in the Champions League. Uh, And if he doesn't play in it, there's a chance that Lionel Messi can equal it or go past him this year. And I think he's desperate to play in it so that he can add more goals and, and stay ahead of Messi. And I think it's all about personal milestones for him. So... The latest is Sporting Lisbon, which is his old team in Portugal where United signed him from. They are playing Champions League. They don't have the big budgets. Of course, they're not probably going to be a team talked about in terms of making quarterfinals even, let alone winning the thing. But uh, as of uh, of, uh, this morning, that is the latest rumour that he might go to Sporting Lisbon. Ricardo, uh, later this morning we're going to be talking to Dr Helen Murray. She's part of a massive worldwide study. She's out of the University of Auckland on concussion and sport. And one of the sports that's been targeted is, of course, football as a contact sport uh, and the heading of the ball, uh, even at junior mm. level. Got any views on that? Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I think it's different now um, than it was, say, in the 60s, 70s and 80s because you've got the artificial material that balls are made of. They're no longer made of leather, so the balls no longer soak up the water. And that was a yeah. problem in the past. I mean, um, it'd be interesting to see if Helen knows the story of Jeff Astle. He was a, a big player in the 70s for West Brom, and he was famed for his heading ability. Um, and he died uh, with a brain condition that was linked to um, basically a, a brain condition you'd normally see in boxes. And that was because he was hitting big, wet, heavy leather balls all the time. Um, so I, I don't think it's as much of a problem now because it's the synthetic balls as it was back then. Uh, but I'm sure that Helen will, will probably know a little bit more on that. But, uh, yeah, mm. uh, the Jeff Astle story is an interesting one. If, if, if that's something you want to dig into, because uh, I know his family are still... Um, Look, uh, talking to the FA uh, and using help with the help of the Professional Footballers Association about getting compensation uh, and making you know educating people more on on brain health, particularly for guys of that generation who you know were still playing in the eighties when it was more of an issue. Mm, watch the space on that one, mate. As always, thank you very much. Uh, look forward to that uh, championship uh, league getting underway. The start for uh, promotion begins in earnest tomorrow. Uh, and other, all the other 42. Uh, catch up next week, uh, Ricardo, when we look at the Premier League's first round. Thank you, mate. Cheers, mate. Go well. Cheers. Uh, Ricardo Ball there with us, uh, of course. Ricardo, uh, part of our SENZ family, big part of it, actually. And uh, he uh, will be back with us next week as we look at the Premier League. It's 10.20, panel next. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Well, I'm pleased to say this morning our panel consists of uh, James Regan, who's a regular with us, but uh, for me, uh, a first appearance on the panel. I understand he's been on before. The boss is on, Reuben Bradley, and uh, it's a pleasure to have uh, Reuben with us this morning. Um, And uh, some real issues to talk about too, fellas. Uh, I'll begin with you, James, if I can. Um, of course, uh, Manly played the Roosters last night. The Roosters duly won. I think everyone was predicting that. 
What did you make about the whole thing and uh, the, the ramifications after this? With I've read an article where the Manly players have said, listen, all you needed to do was consult with us better next year, tell us more about it, and we're happy. Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning, Ruben. Um, yeah, the, the whole thing has just been a bit of a shambles, like probably only rugby league can produce uh, a shambles and a drama like this. Something that should have been a, a really nice gesture and, and something that we probably should see more of in rugby league and um, a, a great idea, I guess. But the, the execution w- was just terrible. The way it was handled in the media, the players only finding out at last minute, um, not not being consulted about it and not basically having a conversation with the club about it. And then the fallout with poor Poor Desi Hasler and Daly Cherry Evans forced to front, and and they did exceptionally well, I might add. Um, but the whole thing has has just been an absolute debacle, coming from what should have been a really positive thing, right, and a really positive message about inclusion and and about uh, representing the pride community. And and as I say, that the idea was there, but the execution was just shocking. And yeah, the, the players as well. Yeah, there's a lot of irony. Uh, around their decision about not wanting to wear this jersey, but they run out every week with points bet across the front and they play at Four Pines Park, of course, the, the beer. So the irony is there. The execution was terrible and, and it just kind of sums up the week, really. Ruben, uh, of interest to me about this uh, whole deal is uh, whether Des Hasler will have to mend relationships within his squad. Um, I, I just wonder, we're not, I'm, I'm not privy to uh, how, it, how the feeling is within the group there, but I would imagine when you have standoffs like this, people don't play alongside you for various reasons. Uh, things have to be mended from time to time. I totally agree. I think uh, I think that is one of the issues that's going to come from this. And whether it's Des Hassler or, or, or higher up at the club, the the thing that shocked me about the situation, uh, amongst many things, but one of the things that has stuck in my mind is you need to know your club, you need to know your players, and you know that you have a large chunk of players there, seven as it turns out, who have... Uh, pretty conservative views and a pretty conservative stance, you had to know, uh, or you should have known, that this sort of stuff, as James mentioned just before, um, needed consulting on, needed talking about, needed some warning so that they were uh, in the circle of trust and understood what was going on. To spring this upon them is where this has gone so wrong. So I definitely think some relationships need mending with upper management and the players because uh, the players essentially were blind blindsided by something and were forced to make a stand, which is which is what's bounced back uh, so horribly. Talk about making a stand too, uh, Ruben. Uh, Maria Folaos uh, labelled the NRL of Peter Flanders mm. hypocrites over Manly's jersey saga. Yeah, I, I've been reading into that. Look, I think the difference here, as I said before, between what Israel Folau has uh, has done in the past, uh, so well publicised, and what's happened here, is the situation was sprung on these players, and they decided they needed to to make a call around something was put on them, as opposed to uh, Israel, who initiated some conversations and initiated some Facebook posts. Uh, the difference also uh, is 
just public perception. Volandis, I think, knows that there's no winning by going into bat for uh, Israel Folau and going into bat for that topic. Also, seven people, strength in numbers. That's always going to uh, be harder to, to fight against and why Volandis would obviously have more sympathy for seven people than an individual. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and James, I, I just wonder whether she has a point. Does she, Maria? Uh, to, yeah, to a certain extent. I doubt Peter Volandis will lose any sleep over what uh, what she makes of it. But um, you, you, Ruben's right. Like, There's no point going after these players under this situation. And, and let's not forget Israel's comments were, were pretty aggressive um, in their nature and, and it's quite different to a, a player simply not wanting to play. Not that that's an excuse um, for the stance they've taken. The game is for everyone. Let's not forget. And, and part of the, the fall down of, of Manly is probably the lack of wanting to have a conversation with these guys and wanting to educate them a bit about the effect that their actions have, whereas Israel Folau's situation was pretty different, even though it was around the same kind of topic. So, yeah, I doubt Peter, Peter Volandis will, will be losing any sleep over, over what Maria Folau thinks respectfully over this one. OK, so Steve Hansen with some interesting comments about New Zealand rugby. We'll talk about those very shortly when we return. Reuben Bradley with us this morning, as is James Regan, uh, and is uh, Ottawa Hathaway as well with the 10.30 News. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. We've got James Regan with us this morning, and, uh, of course, uh, we've got Reuben Bradley as well. And, uh, Reuben, uh, just staying with league momentarily, uh, a little um, meeting yesterday with um, Bellamy, Craig Bellamy, saying um, the NRL should perhaps gift the Warriors four to six points as a thank you for their sacrifices next season. I wonder how the other teams would feel about that. Bless him. What a lovely gesture from Craig Bellamy. Um, frankly, as far as I'm concerned, I don't want any of those things. I don't want uh, this idea of uh, we play all home games next season. No. Do we get a few extra points to go? kick off the season. No, nothing that advantages the Warriors. If we're going to have success in this competition, I want to win it properly. I don't want some asterisks behind uh, the Premiership or, or our next grand final appearance because we had this massive advantage all season. Maybe, seriously, I think they should give us an origin game. Maybe game one of origin. Mm, interesting. Okay, James, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I think it's probably important to note that the way Craig Bellamy said that was a bit of a, maybe a bit of a throwaway line. And can you imagine someone as competitive and determined as Craig Bellamy wanting to give another team points, even if it is the Warriors who, who he might have a bit of a soft spot for? There's definitely, there's definitely more the NRL can do to thank the Warriors and Rugby League in New Zealand for what they've done over the past few years. It's great that they've been given the, the Indigenous, uh, Indigenous uh, this is Māori All-Stars game next year. That's a great start. Uh, but I agree with Ruben. Like, if the Warriors are going to give it a nudge and make the finals and, and try and go all the way within the coming years, you don't want to be given points for it. You don't want to be given more space in the salary cap for it. Like, that, that is just ridiculous. And, and I don't think you'll get a coach or a CEO, including the ones at the Warriors, who will, who will say that. Um, there is more that can be done from the NRL, without a doubt. Um, an origin game or something here would, would be amazing, although I'd love to see them give that up. Um, but giving points, not, not for me. And I, I don't think the Warriors would want that either. They've got their own problems to fix, there's no doubt about that. But getting a couple of points here and there is definitely not the answer to their problems. 
Well, last time, of course, uh, these two sides met, James, uh, the Storm and the Warriors. It was an absolute shellacking. Uh, but the rules have changed a wee bit since then, of course. Uh, change of coach for the Warriors, change, bit of change of personnel, and the Storm have lost a, a few players as well. TAB giving um, the Warriors a 12.5-point start. What do you make of that? Yeah, yeah, it's um, that Anzac Day clash seems like a long, long time ago with everything that's gone on with the Warriors and, and the game in general. Um, look, th- this is a pretty depleted storm side, there's no doubt about that, but still, the, they've got some pretty decent players. Munster uh, and Jerome Hughes and the Haas, I think, will be key tonight. I think they'll probably they'll probably try and run the show, and their forward pack is still in, in pretty good shape as well, so... Look, who knows what can happen at Mount Smart if they do get a decent crowd. I'm hoping they do. The, I'm hoping the weather in Auckland holds up. Um, I think more than anything, Warriors fans just want to see their team at this stage of the season turn up, give it 100%, not let their heads drop, not do stupid things that they've done in the past few weeks to throw away games. Sean Johnson was pretty honest during the week saying you know, he's not been happy with the results, but he has seen um, the team go toe-to-toe with with good sides, good top eight sides in recent weeks since that clash against the Tigers, which has given the team a boost. And if they can just do that, I think that's probably a good stepping stone. Of course, we want them to win. Of course, we want them to, to cause a hell of an upset against the Storm tonight. But just just going toe-to-toe with them and staying in the game and seeing what can happen, I think that's what Warriors fans want at the moment. Ruben, one of the criticisms of uh, New Zealand rugby has been the fact that they don't seem to say much publicly when people want answers. And uh, there was a really tough week last week when every person in the media tried to get something out of them and they basically just blanked them. Uh, Here we go again. Sir Steve Hansen, uh, who is a highly respected man in world rugby, has had a verbal attack on New Zealand rugby, basically saying the board and the administration are just not doing their job properly. The staff have now been told not to respond. Here we go again, Ruben. Yeah, so it's super embarrassing that this has been leaked, that they've been given a no comment, no comment direction from on high. However, in isolation, I think I do agree with that from a comms perspective. It's one of the few things I do agree with on the comms uh, over the last few weeks. You can't go into public and have a public spat. Uh, Steve Hansen says this, we say this, and have a public spat with someone of such standing as Sir Steve Hansen and with such such a record. So in isolation, I actually totally get that one. It's really hard, but in the face of those kind of attacks, uh, silence or just the absolute bare minimum comment is the best course of action. Or you just add fuel to this public fight, which is not becoming of these, these organisations. Bigger picture, though, the silence over the last two weeks from Mark Robinson, um, apart from that statement on the Sunday after the, the series loss, has been so strange and a bunch of comms mistakes of course that cancelled press conference etc etc I just don't think this one not responding to Steve Hansen is one of those big mistakes notwithstanding the email leak is embarrassing Yeah I just wonder about the overall performance too Ruben of of Mark Robinson Mm. as a CEO and it's a high profile position let's you know I mean more so I think than most businesses in this country private enterprise uh, this job is massively so, and part of it you would expect would be public relations mm. and the ability to quell fires or just to relate to the public. Never see him. Yeah, 
So definitely, I I think there have been some comms mistakes. And look, that's the guts of uh, Sir Steve Hansen's criticisms is of the administration. So, you know, yes, the the internally, I believe they probably have to look at these criticisms and, and uh, delve into it and try and figure out, you know, if there are, there are systemic problems from the top and that, that high level administration. I just don't particularly argue with the fact that I think they can keep the response to Hansen's comments in-house. Okay, James, uh, your take on that. You've heard uh, what Ruben has, has, to, has had to say about uh, their reply or non-reply in New Zealand rugby to uh, a man who is held in such high regard uh, around the world. Yeah, and, and I caught the end of the interview on, on today as I was driving into work and, and thought it was surprising in itself that Steve Hansen was commenting on, on these kind of things and then went back and listened to the whole thing. And the stuff that he said will, will hurt New Zealand rugby, it will hurt people within New Zealand rugby given who he is and the money he carries and his stature within the game still saying the relationship between them and the players is the worst it's ever been saying they're not protecting their people saying they're not doing their job properly is damning stuff and and off the back of what's happened on the field, it's just another kick in the guts. I think Ruben's right that they don't want to get into into a verbal stoush in the public arena with Steve Hansen, that would be a terrible thing to do. I don't think anyone would agree that that's a good idea. But the, probably the biggest concern is that there is a leak. There, is a, there was a leak within New Zealand rugby that this email got out. Um, so th- there's yeah, lots to be concerned about. And the stuff that Steve Hansen has said is bang on the money. He obviously wanted to go into bat for Ian Foster, which is fair. You can understand that. But what he said about New Zealand rugby and the way it's run and not looking after their people at the moment is is really damning and it, it will hurt them and it should hurt them if that's the case. It, it really should sting coming from Sir Steve Hansen. This morning there will be, or this evening actually it is now in uh, Birmingham, there will be a lot of high fives I imagine going around the organising group in terms of the opening ceremony. I thought it was quite spectacular and I don't, I'm not usually into that, I usually wait for the action to begin but uh, the time slot was good uh, and I enjoyed what I saw uh, which leads to I think a pretty good start to uh, the Commonwealth Games. James, uh, what are you looking forward to in the early days? Yeah, definitely Hayden Wild. Um, I think you're, you're right about the opening ceremony. That was pretty amazing. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, our triathletes get underway. Um, I'm glad it's finally here. It seems like it's been one of those events, again, that's been touch and go by COVID. And is it going to be the same? And is it going to be, you know, carry the same kind of uh, same kind of magic that we love with these events? And I, I think it is. And the opening ceremony showed that. We've definitely got a lot of medal prospects, that's for sure. And and seeing what it means to them still. There's been a lot of chat about the Commonwealth Games in general, but seeing what it means to them, seeing what it means to Tom Walsh and Joel King, being able to carry that flag at the ceremony, it, it's going to be great. And it should provide a bit of a boost um, to everyone, given what's happening with the All Blacks and the Warriors and everyone at the moment. It should be, it should be a lot of fun. OK, um, just finally uh, from you then, Reuben, any one... Any one event that you're really looking forward to? And you mean apart from the Duran Duran concert this morning, um, which was, was a magnificent start to the oh. <laughs> to the oh. whole event, um, just just wonderful. Reminded me a lot of the 2012. Um, 
opening ceremony as well because it just it's it's the sort of culture that perhaps we I don't know me personally anyway just really relate to as well and just British music is underrated. Um, it's those <laughs> sports that don't we don't normally see in bright lights outside of Olympic or Commonwealth Games. So track and field, love me a fifteen hundred meter heats, the the whole not just the medal races, marathon and triathlon. It's like a virtual tour of a host city as well um, in a pretty epic competition. So those are the sorts of things that uh, that I'll be getting into. Looking forward to it. Um, action starts uh, later this evening. Can't wait. Uh, thank you very much to uh, Reuben Bradley and to James Regan this morning who have been members of the panel. Thanks for those uh, insights, fellas. Enjoyed it. Uh, we'll have another panel same time Monday morning. It is 10.43 here on SENZ. On SENZ. 10.48 here on SENZ and four times world uh, motor racing champion Sebastian Vettel has announced he will retire from Formula One at the end of the season saying his goals had changed and he wanted to focus more on family and interest outside sport. The 35-year-old German who drives for the Aston Martin team won his titles with Red Bull from 2010-2013, also spent six seasons with Ferrari. He made the announcement ahead of this weekend's Hungarian Grand Prix, the 13th round of the season and last race before the August break. Vettel has become increasingly outspoken on a range of topics from the environment to LGBTQ rights, said uh, Formula One was increasingly in conflict with his personal life. My goals have shifted from winning races and fighting for championships to seeing my children grow, passing on my values, helping them up when they fall, listening to them when they need me, not having to say goodbye, and most importantly, being able to learn from them and let them inspire me, he said. I feel we live in very decisive times and how we all shape the next, these next years will determine our lives Vettel said in May that climate change made him question his job as a motor racing driver in particular. Uh, very interesting indeed. We've got some texts that have come in. Uh, Sam has said, Smithy, we don't want extra points. We don't want an origin game in New Zealand. The NRL need to pull finger and hold all Warriors games in New Zealand next year to say thank you for the Warriors' sacrifice. Home games at Mount Smart and take the other games around New Zealand and maybe even to the islands would pay the Warriors back and also grow the game here and the islands. According to the NRL CEO, it's too hard. Unfortunately, it will be swept under the carpet and the Warriors' sacrifice will be forgotten. Hope not. Hope not, Sam, but I suspect that you may well be right. I just wonder whether uh, if the Warriors didn't have a crackingly good season with all those games at home, how the interest uh, levels would stay. It would be a real test if it was week after week, wouldn't it? But, you know... To be honest, if uh, you've got a good side and they're going well and home advantage is uh, paying a divvy, uh, why not? Uh, Dino, who uh, we haven't really heard from uh, this morning, has uh, said Razor needs to sit tight just until after the S uh, South Africa uh, games. If they lose both or even one game, Foster should be gone. If he's not, then Razor will have New Zealand's rugby fans' blessings to go overseas. Uh, New Zealand rugby will be in a dark hole for a very long time. Hmm, Interesting. Uh, and Richard's come in with an interesting concept. I think you need to get Dean and Steve Hansen together for one day, Smithy. Uh, we could put them on the panel. That'd be uh, a, a, an award winner, I would imagine, with those two going hammer and tongs. It would be fantastic, pointing the bone at everyone. Uh, and uh, Simon, who uh, listens uh, on a regular basis, said, talking about uh, Mark Robinson, maybe he's in Hawaii, and that's why he hasn't commentated. Uh, sorry, commented. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, yeah, a bit of tongue-in-cheek there as well. Uh, so <clears throat> keep them coming in. Um, 0800 150 811 is our phone number, of course. The text is 8833. 
Um, we've got uh, in the next hour to talk to Dr. Helen Murray. I'm really looking forward to this because concussion is such a big item on the agenda. Uh, when you start talking about uh, kids' sport in particular and what we have to look out for, that will be very interesting uh, around about 11.30 this morning. It is 10.52 and we'll have an opportunity to catch up with Pip Morris before 11. Now te roa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, it's uh, 10.57. Uh, don't forget in terms of uh, the thoroughbred uh, racing this weekend, uh, Rickenham Park synthetic today, so uh, no problem with the weather for that. Uh, and Tarapa tomorrow, uh, including uh, they've stolen a race off uh, uh, Otaki because uh, that meeting was cancelled very early on in the week and they've stolen uh, the rider stakes off them, which has caused a little bit of angst, I think, around the Central Districts area, to be fair. A little bit disappointed with the whole deal. Uh, but yeah, um, that will that race, as uh, feature race, of course, the Rider Stakes time on it. Uh, that takes place at Tarapa tomorrow, so Butch Castles will have things very much under control there. Pip Morris joins us now from the TAB. Uh, Greyhound Racing today, Otago are racing at Invercargill, and also Monaco. You can't get too much further apart than those two meetings. Pip, good morning to you. No, you certainly can't, Smithy, although it's Palmerston North <laughs> on the Friday. Um, Monaco's on. On the Sunday, but he's a nice dog, I have Sorry. to say, Smithy. And, no, that's all right. Uh, yeah, Sunday, yeah. Manukau, there's the punters. But um, a big time Audi at $6 was a winner on Wednesday, and I can't believe the money she's paying. I know she's up against Sugar Boom Boom in the last, but $6, a really nice play around her, and she's at around 270 I think, for the top two market, if you want to play it safer there. And, of course, you mentioned Tarapa. Smithy, we've got the bonus back. Blitz are back this weekend across the four main meetings, including Tarapa and then across the Tasman at the likes of the Valley. A couple of bets there at Tarapa. Turn the ace in race three leads the bet count for the whole meeting. And there's been 2,500 on Brucey in race one. 2,000 on Magic one this Smithy in race five at $6.50. So that's a really nice play. And 1,400 at 380 on Wine Express in race six. And, of course, tonight we do have the Warriors back at home playing the Melbourne Storm. The most popular power play in the Warriors game so far is the Warriors to score three or more tries in each half at $61. So I think the fans are thinking they're going to have a big one. And Melbourne 1-12 to is the most popular selection in the winning team and margin option. And we've got that bonus back as well. Back your team to win if you get the incorrect margin. But they still get up. You can get a bonus back up to $50. Thanks very much for that, Pip. I know I got it wrong because I'm excited about the head-to-head bet on either Kaikara France or Blood Diamond. If they don't win, the TAB will refund you up to $50 as a bonus bet. That's why I got confused. More details and T's and C's at tab.co.nz. Gamble responsibly, please. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.03 and uh, every week on a Friday we delve a little deeper into the greyhound racing industry of course uh, responsible for a lot of employment around the country as well and uh, so it's uh, very necessary to uh, New Zealand racing way of life and uh, it's been great over the weeks uh, to talk to a lot of real characters um, old and young, male and female and I'm pleased to say today we're sticking with the female side of things because we're going to be talking to Sarah Clawson. Uh, Sarah, good morning to you. Thank you very much for joining us here on SENZ. Uh, you're he- heavily entrenched uh, in the greyhound industry, of course, because you are a Greyhound Racing New Zealand board member. Yes, that's right. Good morning. 
Tell us uh, how busy you are in that role. Uh, I'm not too bad as I'm um, actually an emerging director, so it means that I'm sort of an observer on the board. But I've really enjoyed my time on the board. I get to um, you know, sit in every meeting and have, have my say. And um, we've obviously got meetings outside of the, the monthly meeting and other discussions that happen. But I've been really enjoying my time. It, because it's such a high interest of mine, it doesn't really feel like work and it doesn't really feel like it actually takes up um, much time out of my life because it's, yeah, because I'm so heavily involved in it. So, Sarah, what are the the main issues uh, facing the Greyhound Racing Board at the moment as such? Uh, we obviously had Wanganui shut down, um, so we're currently looking at bringing, uh, getting Wanganui back up and running and, uh, and looking at a straight track. There's obviously the issues of, you know, young people coming through the game as well and uh, just, you know, making sure we've got enough dogs racing, really. So, uh, in terms of uh, facilities, um, uh, what we've we've got at the moment is that it at the moment. I, I mean, Wanganui perhaps introducing the straight track was uh, quite exciting in the light of how successful it is in Australia, of course. Uh, but uh, are we looking perhaps uh, at any other venues, stretching it out a wee bit more? Yeah, definitely looking at the South Island. Definitely looking op- at options at the moment, um, and it's just a matter of time, really. So, fingers crossed that it happens shortly. I'd say Nelson or maybe Nelson or Blenheim, the top of the South Island? Oh, no, it'd be more towards Ashburton and Omeroo Way. Um, we're just weighing up our options um, and looking at what, what could be done or, or what, what could be available. Um, and that would be, yeah, the, the option, really. There's no, no trainers in the, in the top of the South Island. Uh, uh, there's people, obviously, down at Invercargill, so sort of meeting in between Christchurch and Invercargill would be a good place. Your partner is uh, Matt Roberts, of course, uh, son of a very high-profile trainer in the past, and Craig Roberts. Um, were you greyhound before you, um, were you before you met Matt? Were you involved in the industry at all? No, not at all. Matt and I actually met uh, playing squash at a local squash club, and uh, Matt asked me for a hit, and I thought, oh, righto. And um, after that, we, we he asked me if I wanted to go to the races one day, and I thought, oh, okay, because I've I've never really been involved in racing. I've always sort of had dad's always been watching the races on the TV, and um, but I had no idea. I couldn't read form, didn't know how to pick out a dog, so I took dad along with me to, to the races, and uh, really fascinated me. And it was um, awesome meeting Matt and his family, you know, seeing what they do every day, and and I guess you could say the rest's history. Well, it is, but it's a common history, uh, Sarah, because I, I, I talk to people um, every week from the greyhound racing industry and they all have the same feeling about the industry. It just kind of grabs you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even Dad sport dogs now and it's just it's right through our family too now from just meeting Matt. So there's just something about it. You know, the dogs are wonderful animals and, and spending every day with them and just getting the thrill of when they win, you just make your just makes you so proud of them. Sarah, you've also been, it's recently been announced uh, that you will be the manager of the uh, Christchurch Greyhound Racing Club, taking over the role from uh, Tony Music, who has uh, been in the role for a few decades. Uh, looking forward to the <laughs> challenges in that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, prior to obviously uh, being involved in the Greyhounds more, I, I was at university and had a banking background, so the management side is more my forte and then of course combined with my interest in greyhound racing I think it's the 
the perfect job for me. Um, it's going to take me a little while to get used to the role and, and get the swing of things. At the moment, we're stuck in um, lockdown with COVID, so hopefully it doesn't take us too long to recover from that and I'll, I'll be um, in there with Tony starting to learn the job. Sarah, Greyhound welfare is always top of the agenda when, and you know, you face objections from people outside the industry, obviously the, race, the racing industry in general does that, but um, what are your opinions on that and how careful do you have to be around it? Oh, it's, it's, a really, it's a really emotional subject for a lot of us because we put so much care and love into the dogs every day. I mean, regularly I welcome people to come and look at our property. I mean, we've just spent, I don't, don't even want to know how much we've spent on our property, getting it up to a really high standard. I mean, all the, the, the kennel block, some of the kennel blocks fully insulated, um, you know, we're treating dogs regularly, uh, vet see them every time they go to the races. It's, it's, it's really hard for us to try and, you know, block that out from us. Um, but, I mean, we love these dogs. We wouldn't be doing it if we didn't. And, of course, the dog's not going to perform well if it's, you know, not w- well treated. So, yeah, it, it's a really tough subject. And it, the people that are anti-racing, they're probably always going to be anti-racing. Um, but it's just continuing to try and put those positive messages out there and and get across that we do love these dogs and they do, are well treated. When I watch uh, the, the dog racing, and I do, um, I see um, every dog has a handler, of course, uh, around to the traps, etc. Uh, I see great uh, demographic of young and old involved in the industry. Is uh, It looks to me, when the, the youth, the young people that are involved, it looks like it's, it's looking pretty solid at that level. Yes, it is, to an extent. You know, a lot of them have got their handler's licences, but it's when they go to the next phase of actually wanting to train their own dogs and trying to find a property. Price, property is just a ridiculous price and, and then the set-up fees on top of that. So there is a great bunch of young kids, you know, coming through handling dogs, but it's just going to that next point um, of actually training out of your own facilities. That's, that's the hard, hard part at the moment. So how many, how many dogs do, do you uh, run in your, in your setup in your kennel? Um, we've currently got 50, but we're actually going to start reducing our numbers and, and send our dogs out to other trainers um, because of me getting, getting the role at the Christchurch Club. Uh, Matt's going to look after it. We've got two children, so he's going to look after the children uh, part-time and then they'll go to daycare part-time. So it'll be a bit of a juggling act for all of us. But, uh, yeah, just to, he'll have to obviously do the dogs and look after the kids for a portion of the time. Oh, it's a changing society, isn't it? Isn't it? A changing society, Sarah? <laughs> sure is. <laughs> sure is. Hey, look, we can't let you go without a tip. Have you got anything going Anything going around shortly that's good and going to win and guaranteeing us? Uh, Adobe Dazzler today at Eddington. Sorry, I don't actually know what race she's in, but she won um, earlier in the week and she went really well, so really hope she wins again. Cool. We'll mark that one down. Sarah, uh, fantastic to talk to you. Congratulations uh, on your board position. And also good luck with uh, your new venture as manager of the Christchurch Greyhound Racing Club. Uh, look forward to Pat catching up with you again shortly. Thank you, Sarah. Yes, thank you. Okay, bye. Cheers. Sarah Clawson there. Yeah, there's a, uh, a young lady who uh, very much the future of Greyhound Racing, particularly in the Canterbury area, um, with those administrative positions as well uh, as uh, being a mum. Uh, partner, of course, and, and uh, trying to cram it all in.
in uh, a busy life, you would imagine. It is 11.11 here on SCNZ. Uh, I'll tell you what we'll do. Because we're going to talk to Dr. Helen Murray just after 11.30, why don't we have Stump Smithy now? What do you reckon? Shall we have Stump Smithy now? 0800 150811. Give you the opportunity to win 50 bucks from the TAB. I might have caught you by surprise, a bit slow on the old lines this morning. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, Stump Smithy after the break. uh, And uh, Brian will be waiting for your calls uh, when we come back. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. All right, Friday on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Producer Logan here. It's time for Stumped. We're potentially stumping you a little bit by going a few minutes early because, as Smithy said, we've got a big interview coming up with Dr. Helen Murray. But the keen listeners, Smithy, have lit up the lines. We've got a few waiting in tow. Of course, a $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs. We haven't really, uh, well, the listeners have been winning. We haven't been doing the stumping here, Smithy. I feel we need we need to pump it up. Let's start building this thing back up again. Uh, I've been crap. It's as simple as that. I mean, you know, uh, I've never, ever, ever professed to being great in terms of recalling sporting events or statistics or anything like that. So, And I wouldn't imagine I'll be any better this morning. So, it, I mean, you just have to get through and you're, you're pretty much in the money, it seems, at the moment. Unless I get lucky today. What are we looking at today, Logan? And who's first up? You might get lucky today. We'll, we'll see. First at the crease, we have Greg from Auckland. Come in, Greg. Yeah, morning. How are you, guys? Yeah, doing good, mate. Hey, uh, have you played Stump before? No, first timer. First timer. Oh, we here we go. All right, so I'll give you the quick rundown. This is how the game works, mate. We have three categories to choose from today. If you get a question wrong, it's over to Smithy, uh, and he'll get a chance to knock your bales off. If you if you get out within the first two questions, then it's on to the next caller in line. That goes for anyone. Get dismissed on that final question, and we will jackpot on Monday to $100, so we'll see how we go here. But your topics today, Greg, and for anyone wanting to play along at home or in the car, wherever you are, the Commonwealth Games... Basketball or boxing? Take your pick. Ooh, I'll probably have to give the Commonwealth Games a go there. All right, good luck to you both. Here we go. Of course, this isn't like the uh, trick I played on uh, good friend Zaid yesterday where one category was one category. We actually did have three today. Uh, First question for you, Greg. Out of the three Commonwealth Games held in New Zealand... Which one was our most successful? Uh, in terms of medals, I'd have to say 1990. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Correct, 1990 Auckland. Smithy, what do you remember about those games? Not a lot. Not as much as I remember about 1974, to be perfectly honest, and that's where I would have gone, 1974. Uh, even though I did attend the 1991 ones uh, for at least one day, uh, 74 I thought would have thought would have been more successful. But well done, Greg. Good stuff. Question two, please. Thanks, mate. Uh, just for a little context there, 1974, 35 medals. 1950, 53 medals. 1990, 58 medals. Uh, so on to question two. Where do New Zealand currently sit on the Commonwealth Games all-time medal table? 
I would say he would be straight up in front of us and, you know, I'd say fourth. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, over to you. I think Australia would be ahead of us, definitely. I'm thinking England would be ahead of us, definitely. I'm thinking Canada would be ahead of us, definitely. I'm just thinking if there's anyone else that may well be ahead of us on the table. I have to go. I, I, I don't think we're third, so I'm going to say fifth. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yep, dismissed. Back to the pavilion. Sorry there, Greg. Yes, the correct answer is fifth. New Zealand have... All-time 159 gold medals, 220 silver, 278 bronze. And Smithy, you were bang on there with your assessment. Australia first, England second, Canada third, the fourth country, India. Oh, India got us. Unbelievable. How far far, uh, behind India are we? Can we grab them this time around? (laughs) We'll have to look that up. I don't have that on me right now, Smithy. Brian can look after that while we get the next caller up. And it's Zaid. Zaid for his redemption. Come in, mate. Good, good morning, boys. Hey, I understand hey, you're. Uh, I understand you're coming in this afternoon on staff show. Yeah, it's a preview of the UFC. Yeah. How good? How good? All right. So the category again today is Commonwealth Games, mate. Last question, all on the line. The fifty dollars TAB bonus bet. Okay. Who has won the most Commonwealth Games gold medals for New Zealand? Oh, for New God. Zealand, um, is it Joel King? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Love the squash king, uh, king, queen, Joelle King, sorry. Uh, but no, not Joelle Smithy. Wow, this is interesting. Uh, I'm tempted. Uh, are they gold medals, you said? Gold medals? Yes, gold medals. Right, okay. We're looking at longevity here. Uh, we're looking uh, over a long period of time. Um, and I think we're perhaps looking at either... Valerie Adams or Beatrice Falmuina. So I'm going to go Beatrice Falmuina. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. It was a Valerie. Valerie Young. Five, wow. go- five gold medals, three in shot book. Who's that? <laughs> well, Zaid. You're about to get a his, uh, history lesson here, mate. Uh, five gold medals, three in shot put, two in discus throw across 1958 in Cardiff, 1962 oh in Perth, God. and 1966 in Kingston. So it's it's going back a bit, but Zay, that that's does even, that's even further away than yesterday's question. That was 1974. Yeah, exactly. But hey, mate, you know what it means? It means you do get the fifty dollars uh, TAB bonus. Cheers. Bet. Thank you. You do, and you can what do, just what do you about think about the Warriors and... game tonight, Smitty? Do you think Storm one to twelve, or do you think it's going to be a nah, bigger yeah, victory than I, that? I do. I think exactly that. I think Storm one to twelve because uh, the TAB uh, Zaid are giving a twelve and a half point start to the Warriors. Even after that uh, hammering in the, on Anzac Day, they've reduced yeah, the it to twelve been and a half last points. Few weeks and I've lost a bit of money from them, but yeah. And then yeah. you've also got the blockbuster tonight, Eels Panthers, which will be a, a good game. And there's also a bit of sprinkling in the Commonwealth game, so. I think we're set for a good weekend in the UFC on Sunday, I think, which the Kiwis are looking to with Kaikara France, Brandon Moreno, which we'll be talking about later in studio. So that's what we're looking forward to this weekend for UFC. And um, Amanda Nunes, okay. Pena rematch. 
So, oh, yeah. Yeah, mouth-watering. Mouth-watering, Zade, you're absolutely right. Uh, I think Staffy's, uh, he's, he, I can see him poised. He's just about ready for you, mate. So I uh, look forward to hearing from you uh, live here on SENZ this afternoon. Uh, that is Zade from Auckland, our winner this morning. It is 11.24 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, Pete's come in uh, and said, isn't Steve Hansen our equivalent of Greg Norman and LIV Golf, Live Golf? What happened to the big idea about 10s rugby? I think it was actually 12s, uh, 12s rugby. Um, I could be wrong, but I think it was 12s rugby, Pete. Uh, but yeah, uh, it sort of died a natural death, didn't it? Or they, they shelved it anyway. Um, and now they're looking at uh, other things like super championships involving club teams, etc. So I think every time they come up with an idea, uh, that particular concept, which is fronted by Sir Steve Hansen, uh, it sort of gets uh, further back in the back seat, if you know what I, uh, what I mean. Um, here we go. Uh, a bit of trivia. Hi, Smithy, a bit of trivia. The 1974 Commonwealth Games in Christchurch, New Zealand won a bronze medal in the super heavyweight division of freestyle wrestling. That same athlete went on to play rugby for Manawatu 145 times and the All Blacks in 39 tests. He played at the infamous 1981 South Africa test at Eden Park where he was hit on the head by a flower bomb dropped by protesters flying in a Cessna. His name, Gary Axel Knight, Carlos from Christchurch. So thank you so much for reminding me of that. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Gary Axel Knight, Commonwealth Games bronze medal winner. Brilliant. It is 11.31 here on SENZ. Some news with Araha, and then after that, one of the most sensitive issues in sport at the moment, concussion. Well, head knocks and concussions in sport at all levels are a serious concern. A new report headlined by Dr Chris Nowinski has uh, revealed that repetitive head impacts are a definite cause of CTE. Now, the big concern is what will sporting organisations do to acknowledge this and make steps to protect their players, especially the young, the children. Uh, One Kiwi neuroscientist who contributed to the research for that paper is Dr Helen Murray, based out of the University of Auckland, being an athlete who has represented New Zealand in both inline and ice hockey. This is an issue that uh, she wants to understand better through her research and make a difference for future athletes. And uh, Dr Murray joins us now. Uh, Helen, uh, good morning. If I can call you Helen, uh, welcome to the show. Kia ora. thank you for having me. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely fine. Uh, Helen, okay, firstly this paper is known as the Bradford Hill Criteria. Can you explain what that criteria is? Yeah, exactly. So the Bradford Hill Criteria are a set of uh, nine viewpoints or criteria that we can use to evaluate evidence that and environmental exposure causes a particular outcome. So in this case, that repetitive head injury causes CT pathology in the brain. And so by assessing the evidence against these viewpoints, we can determine whether we can justify moving from the idea that the exposure and the outcome are associated to actually having a verdict that there is causation between the two things. And these criteria were first proposed in 1965. They've been used for a whole lot of different um, types of questions. And probably the most, uh, most profound one is they were used to examine the evidence that smoking causes lung cancer. So that's kind of the, the history behind using these criteria to answer a question like this. Okay, so um, if, if the smoking thing was uh, what initiated, uh, initiated it originally, 
How modern has been the look at uh, concussion and brain injury? Yeah, so, I mean, it's important to note really that there's no single study in this case that can actually prove causation. And mostly that's because the type of study that we would have to do is not ethical. You can't take sort of two groups of people and subject one group to repeated injury and one not and, and see what happens in a sort of controlled context. So we're always going to have to accept that this idea of causation is kind of a continuum of like highly likely to highly unlikely. And that is um, something that's, you know, across many different questions across history has been sort of used for. Um, but what we did here is we looked at all of the evidence on repeated head injury and CTE through the lens of this criteria. So uh, we really looked across the whole spectrum of evidence that has been that's out there um, since CTE has been described. What sports uh, were focused on during the research? Yeah, so, I mean, it's important to note as well that head injury can come from a lot of different types of exposure. So sport is probably the most high-profile one. There's lots of other types of head injury exposure as well, but we did find that there is a real consistency across seeing CT pathology in a whole range of sports, including, uh, for me, ice hockey, which was the, the one I was most interested in, but also American football, uh, soccer, um, wrestling, boxing, um, lacrosse, a whole different range of sports here. Uh, the elite female sport is on the rise. There's no doubt about that at the moment, uh, Helen. But with studies like this happening uh, post mortem, there has been much. Has there been much on how impact uh, head impacts affect women uh, and compared to men? Yeah, that is such a great question, and obviously one I'm I'm very interested in for personal reasons. The the truth of the matter is is that women's sport at this sort of uh, repetitive head injury context is relatively new. So when we study the brains of people who have CTE, we're looking at people who died in their 80s, uh, 70s, that kind of thing, and the head injury exposures would have been 40 years earlier. And so we just don't have the evidence yet because we haven't sort of seen women come through this repetitive head injury uh, career to then study the brains later on. So at the moment, all of the evidence is is very, very um, based around male contact sport participants. Um, and obviously, I want to understand whether this, this holds across um, women's sport as well. The paper clearly states that the repetitive head impacts cause the degenerative brain disease, CTE. How conclusive is this evidence? So I think that was one of the, the outcomes of the paper that was really surprising is the evidence is, is hugely strong. So there are, there are nine criteria that we, we looked against. And I think the strength of association criteria, which is that the outcome is more frequent in groups that have head injury exposure than groups without, that is probably the most robust um, and strong evidence out there, that we just don't see CTE in populations of people who don't have repetitive head injury exposure. Um, but across all nine of the criteria that we assessed, the evidence stacked up was very, very strong. So I, I think we can confidently say that there is a causal relationship between the head injury and the pathology. And now it's really about, you know, what do we do with that knowledge? One of the interesting things uh, as we watch sport on television these days uh, is, of course, uh, a lot more attention being paid, to, particularly in, in rugby union, uh, to concussion, Helen. Um, but they have what they call standard stand-down periods, standard protocol for answering questions on the field, doctors, examinations off the field, etc., but it, it must be very hard to know the extent of, of that particular concussion compared to another one. And so, therefore, the periods of stand-down, et cetera, must be a little bit up in the air, yeah? 
Yeah, and, and this is one of the questions I think we need to be putting the emphasis and effort into to answer is there is a huge difference between uh, people's symptoms, between the, the concussion that they receive, how long that they will take to recover. Those are going to be different between different people in different contexts. So it's, it's very difficult to, to say what is the, the right amount of time that you should be resting. But I think what this research is showing, and one of the criteria we looked at was was the biological gradient, which is if you have more head injury exposure, do you get more pathology? And we see that, yes, you do. So actually, it's, it's almost about, it's more about how many head injuries you get over your career as opposed to the one massive concussion that, that we see and observe. So there's all these head knocks that are happening during trainings, during small um, sort of knocks that might not cause concussive symptoms, but they are contributing to the risk of developing CTE. So I think, I think what this research is saying is that we need to start thinking about how do we reduce the amount of exposure that someone is actually getting to these head injuries. When you started your study and, and throughout the studies that you've had to this point, have you been surprised um, at the extent of it, uh, of CTE and the real problem? Yeah, I, th I think, you know, looking at the brains of, of people who have uh, this pathology, it is quite striking how much how much is changing in the brain and the damage that is occurring. And, and talking to people who have come through a um, long time after their playing career and they're experiencing symptoms, it has a really profound impact on people's quality of life. And I think all of these things are, are just really highlighting to me that this is something we have to pay attention to. and We need to, we need to do the research that is going to start generating outcomes and actually improving um, the situation. Your, your research investigates the uh, relationship between CTE and dementia. Of course, dementia's uh, hot on the agenda and uh, never more so than one of our most high-profile All Blacks and Carl Heyman. Uh, what, have you, uh, what have you seen and what have you uh, been able to, to glean from those studies and relation, the relation between those two things, CTE and dementia? Yeah, so the, this is the, the real sort of fundamental aspect of our research is understanding what is actually happening between receiving these repetitive head injuries and developing symptoms down the line? What, what is actually changing in the brain um, for these things to happen? And I think some of the things we've realized is, you know, traumatic brain injury or mild traumatic brain injury, concussions, repetitive head injuries, these are risk factors for a lot of different types of dementia. So not just CTE, but also Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. And understanding how you go from sort of head injuries during your playing career and then the process and what's changing, that's what we're really trying to, to understand with our research. So we're pairing up with um, brain banks around the world, including our own, to receive brain donations from people who have been um, exposed to repetitive head injuries. And we're going to study that tissue to understand how is CTE different to Alzheimer's or Parkinson's disease and, and what can we actually understand about the processes that, that happen in the brain to, to, to get to that point. And this, of course, um, you kind of expect this is going to affect people later in life, but of course um, that may not be the root cause of it. It could start very early on in the piece uh, as much as uh, youngsters playing football. And um, one of the things they're looking at, of course, at the moment is the repetitive heading of footballs, um, which um, obviously uh, could be a, a real issue. Um, do you see that as, 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 as such and uh, other sports as well uh, with the kids? Yeah, absolutely. And it comes back to what I was saying before about that duration of head injury exposure. We know from the studies that have been done that the more uh, head injuries you have, the more exposure you have, the higher the chance. So by re 
reducing the amount of exposure, um, you know, stopping kids from experiencing these impacts young, you're, you're decreasing that exposure by, you know, five, ten years, that kind of thing. So I think anything that we do to reduce uh, contact in sport for young children, um, reduce head impacts through hitting the ball and that kind of thing in, in young children, that is going to help reduce the exposure and therefore reduce the risk of CTE. So I think those things are really important um, to look at. From what you've looked at, um, and you look at the, some of the world bodies that r run some of these vulnerable sports as such, is enough being done? Is there enough education out there for people taking part? Yeah, I, th I think uh, the education aspect of it is is an important outcome. What we hope from this study, we hope that by by putting this out there and really showing the evidence for a causal relationship, we can start to move past this debate of is it causal and actually get into uh, doing the research that really matters in terms of finding out, you know, what should sports be doing to reduce head injury exposure? What what can we do as athletes to reduce the risk? Um, and I think education is a huge piece of that. By by accepting that this is, this is an issue, athletes can start getting informed consent. We can start uh, allowing them to sort of make choices about their recovery from head injury exposures. And, and I think also sort of destigmatizing the seeking help for mental health issues, which can be an aspect of this as well. I would imagine over the years to do your research, you wouldn't mind uh, getting hold of some of um, the brains of deceased boxers and UFC fighters, etc. That'd be interesting, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is a very new initiative here in New Zealand. So we only just launched um, the Sports Brain Bank Initiative uh, in the late, late 2019, and that pesky pandemic kind of um, has put a, put a slow on most things but um, it's really important I think that we do this research here in New Zealand. A lot of it is happening overseas and I think New Zealand needs to have um, a voice and, and understand the context of CTE in our sporting um, environment and so it has been a relatively recent uh, endeavour. We, we've opened sort of our Neurological Foundation of New Zealand Human Brain Bank to receiving these donations so yeah, we're just sort of getting the word out there that this is research that we're doing and, and to do that work, you know, you have to study the brain of someone who has the disease. So people who have had repeated head injury, like boxers, like rugby players, like, um, yeah, UFC, so these are the, the kinds of people that, you know, if they donate, we're going to learn a lot about this disease. Helen, is it, is it possible um, to, to give parents a message here? Is, is there anything to look out for with your kids as such uh, from their sporting activities or, or, you know, if they've had a bad knock or anything of that nature? Is there anything conclusive yet or is that still very much uh, up in the air? I think for, for parents and, and really for anyone playing contact sport, it's just thinking about the risk that you're taking. Do you, do you need to have your child in a contact environment when they're five or six? Probably not. Um, what can we do to kind of help um, kids recover? You know, not pushing them back out into the field when they're not ready. Um, allowing them to, to really recover and not just when the symptoms have gone away, but actually, you know, do they feel right um, mentally, physically, all of those things. So I, I think there's just this emphasis on thinking about uh, head injury from a long-term perspective and thinking about what is this going to mean in the short term versus the long term. Right now, it's not really that big a deal if, if um, my child doesn't go right back out to contact sport right away. You know, let's, let's try and think about the long term and, and protecting our brain health. Yeah, I think uh, these days to wear 
on the side of cautious. Uh, I remember as a kid growing up, you know, all you ever wanted to do is get back out there, even if you've had an injury, you just want to get back out there and play with your mates and that sort of thing again. But I think uh, that's probably the message is to be a little bit cautious around that area as well. Uh, uh, just before we let you go, what's next for you in terms of the research around the CTE in sports issue? Yeah, um, we're really getting now into sort of these sort of mechanistic questions. We really want to understand what is actually happening in the brain. Um, once we're past this kind of, is it related to head injury, but what is actually happening from head injury to to dementia symptoms? And so um, I'm really interested and really keen to actually get more into the sort of lab work, getting into the actually studying the tissue and understanding what's happening and connecting with our colleagues around the world to, to do that across a lot of different um, sporting populations. Interesting, uh, very interesting and very, very topical. Uh, Dr. Helen Murray, thank you so much for your time this morning. Uh, appreciated it. Uh, education for me in particular anyway, and I'm sure for a, a number of our listeners as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Uh, Dr. Helen Murray there out of the University of Auckland, very much involved in the research of uh, the effects of head knocks throughout the uh, various uh, demographics of uh, uh, the people playing sport beginning way, way back uh, when their kids as to through to adults and getting more and more deceased brains to work on around the world. Uh, that's a good thing coming out of it as well to uh, enhance the chances of getting it right. It is time for a break here on SENZ when we come back. Uh, harness racing with Mick Guerin. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.